This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of August 9th through the 13th, 2021. This is the last week of shows for season 37, and it is the week with Joe Buck as guest host. There's a lot this week, Uh, but before we get to any of that, we had, of course, the big announcement as to who will be taking over the permanent gig for hosting Jeopardy. Now, of course, we already knew that Mike Richards was in advanced negotiations for the job, uh, and it was officially announced this week that Mike Richards will be taking over the position uh, for the regular syndicated daily version of Jeopardy. And in addition to that, Mayim Bialik will be hosting spinoffs and primetime specials. Yes. I'm very curious what that is going to look like. Me too. I, 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 that must mean they're planning on doing that. They've had like one primetime special in the last... I don't know. I like they had the goat tournament, right? And I don't, I don't remember. I'm sure there probably were other things like Super Jeopardy or whatever was going on. Or like, I'm sure there were other things in the past, but it's been a while, and it doesn't seem like they do that enough to sustain the idea of like we're naming this person as host of all of these things. But my assumption is that they're planning to. Yeah, I am. Uh... I don't know. I don't I don't think I know anyone who's like super satisfied and excited about this decision. Yeah. I mean, I, I know what I said last week is that, you know, I'll keep watching because I watch for trivia and I watch for the for the contestants. As I sat with that more, I was like, man, that really does feel bad to kind of like be complicit and kind of, you know, tacitly endorse this decision. But also, I don't, you know, mm-hmm. what else do I, like, what do I do? I mean, the other option yeah. is not watching the show. And honestly, for for me, and I imagine for a lot of, like, for a lot of us in the Jeopardy community, that may not really be something we're willing to do. As far as his hosting chops go, like, I thought he did fine, right? Yeah, he was fine. The games will run fine. What we're watching, mm-hmm. I think it'll it'll be fine. I'm not worried about the show being unwatchable. It's really more about the, like, the big old missed opportunities and also, like, his his history as an executive. Yeah. Agreed. And, like, frustration that that they uh, seem to kind of take the, the path of, like, least resistance slash most nepotism. Right. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, after, after you know, kind of showing us all the, all the, you know, the great candidates they had in mind, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, he did fine. The games will run. Yeah. Apparently, he is going to be executive producing Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune still, while also being the Jeopardy host. Yeah, which I don't know how much executive producing you do during the tapings, but I imagine it's more than the host does. <laughs> when they're taping yeah so Mm -hmm. who who knows where that'll go Mm -hmm. 
All right. But that's the well, news. The decision is made. Yep. Uh, and I think they're coming back on September 13th. Is that right? Is that right? That's what That's that's what I think I heard. That's an awfully quick turnaround. Cuz if if he just was like I mean, I don't know how long ago this was decided as, you know, as opposed to announced, but like they got to get taping. Yeah. They don't they normally have more than 4 weeks between tape day and air day. Mhm. So yeah, we'll just throw them right in the deep end. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're set to air episode one on September 13th. How about that? Okay. Yeah. That's a month from today. <laughs> we are recording. Today we're taping, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Or recording, we, yeah. We will mm-hmm. not have a long hiatus. That'll be fine. Indeed. That'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, yeah, to the shows. Monday, August 9th. First game with Joe Buck, the much maligned Joe Buck. A lot of people really complaining about Joe Buck. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, th- I thought there were some times that he was a bit loose uh, <laughs> and perhaps a bit a bit over the top, but I liked his energy. I thought he did fine. Yeah. I didn't have a problem mm-hmm. with him. I know a lot of people just want to hate on Joe Buck for whatever reason, but I just, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm. he was, I mean... A- Different, different flair mm-hmm. than the other guest hosts, but yeah, no, I mean, he kept it moving. Yeah, he was uh, dynamic, but I didn't think he was too too over the top. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't think it, like I have by no means think he did the best job, but yeah. Anyway, uh, this is also Matt Amodio entering with thirteen wins going into this week. So on Monday. August 9, we get the contestants Brian Cordova Brookie, an attorney from Pasadena, California, Kristen Nagel, a public servant from El Paso, Texas, and Matt Amodio, a PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, whose 13 day cash winnings total $430,200. We have the Jeopardy round categories around the USA Literature, Buckingham Palace, It's a Federal Crime, Current TV, and The Letter. After M, which they give a clue as to a two-letter word or abbreviation, and they want you to give the next one. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's a federal crime to impersonate a member of the 4-H club. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Or to write a check for less than a dollar. Yes. Which... Um, I am shocked. Also, who's gonna enforce that? <laughs> yep, I feel like the uh, the the whole it's a federal crime category sort of fits in with my theory that that there are Jeopardy writers like just very slyly doing some uh, some social justice education, hmm. you know, because I think people sometimes say oh well you know if you if you you know if you if you do a crime then you know you, you know like yeah. you don't deserve the rights of a regular right. law-abiding citizen and it's like well right. if you wrote a check for less than a dollar you're a felon like, <laughs> like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good point I, I can't completely vouch for the legitimacy of this but i have i have heard the statistic that uh people commit on average one felony per day i could see that um you know not not saying everybody's like going around doing doing murder and embezzlement 
all the time. Um, but because there are things we, we don't realize are illegal, you know, right. that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Something being a crime does not necessarily make it mm-hmm. bad, you know? Yeah. There are lots of things that are illegal precisely because, you know, a lobbyist wanted it to be that way, not because it's moral. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yep. we don't want to go, anyway. go too far down that road. Um, but yeah. How many people were impersonating 4-H club members for it to need to be a crime? <laughs> and yeah. what were they doing? This is this is what I want to know. Mm-hmm. I, I thought the $600 clue of literature um, in an S.E. Hinton novel, Motorcycle Boy Tries to Free the Aquarium Dwellers, he calls these the book's title. Now, I, I like literature and I know exactly one S.E. Hinton title. And it is it is The Outsiders, mm-hmm. which is Brian's guess. That one's incorrect. They were looking for Rumblefish, which I had not heard of. Maybe that's a gap in my knowledge. I mean, obviously, it is a gap in my knowledge. It, 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 my, it seemed to me a bit obscure for a mid-level Jeopardy round clue. I also had that feeling, but I was like... I was just like, oh, yeah, that's something that a lot of trivia people know, and I just don't. Yeah, I I, I had not encountered that before. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. Um, Daily Double number one comes up in the Around the USA category at the $1,000 level. It's the 10th pick, and Matt finds it. He has 4400 at this point. Kristen is at zero. Brian's at negative 600. And Matt makes it a true Daily Double and gets the clue. The purple seats near the top of Coors Field tell you you've reached this geographic des- designation. And he correctly responds, what is mile high? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Matt is at 14800 Uh Kristen is at 200 Brian has made it out of the red and is at 1,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Let's see. That's S-E-A. A movie, A in quotation marks, Dem Bones, Historic Names, Grab Bag, and Myth Run-Ons. Those are like before and after, but with mythology yeah more like port yeah portmanteaus portmanteaus yeah sorry portmanteaus with mythology yeah i liked those yeah they were fun agreed they missed a 1200 dollar clue though i i got that one yeah multi-headed hellhound now bent on stealing cattle that's cerberusler which i'm just picturing cerberus in a little like cowboy hat (laughs) running around yeah cutie cutie pie Big dog. Mm-hmm. Lots of different ways to say potpourri here, right? We got a gr- yep. grab bag category. <laughs> yep. I was uh, I was surprised the $800 level of Dem Bones was a triple stumper. Men do not have more of these bones than women, but some people have extra cervical ones near the collarbone. Uh, that's ribs. Um, men do not have more of these bones than women is a reference to, um, like, Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. right? And that I think that people think thought for a long time yeah yeah. it was believed that men had an extra rib or women or women had an extra or something like that because of that the the origin story Mm -hmm. it's like yeah it's just not true yeah no yeah daily double number two is in the dem bones category at the 1600 dollar level Matt finds it at pick number four. If it's at the $1,600 level, he's going to find it early because that's he goes through that row first. So uh, it's pick number four. He is at 
18,400. Kristen is at negative 200. Brian's at 1,000. And he wagers 4,000. And he gets a clue. Sesamoid bones are found in tendons. The best known is this bone at the lower end of the quadriceps tendon. And he works it out that that is the patella. Mm-hmm. And uh, just two clues later, he hits Daily Double 3 as well at the $1,600 level of a movie. He's at 24000 at this point to Kristen's negative 200. Brian's at 1000 um, And he wagers just 2000 on this one. And gets the clue, this 1997 thriller about President Marshall was set largely on the title transport. Um, and I thought that he didn't seem to have it right away, but he got it. Uh, that's Air Force One. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Matt is in a lock position. Surprise, surprise, at 44,400. 44, Kristen is at 1,800 and Brian is at 5,000. The final Jeopardy category is Beastly Eponyms, and the clue is a penguin species found in southern South America is named for this 16th century man, whose crew were the first from Europe to see them. Uh, this was a triple stumper. We've had, we've had a few, a good number of final Jeopardy triple stumpers lately. Uh, Kristen mm-hmm. wrote, who is Empire? Perhaps thinking emperor penguins were named for a person, which, you know... Why not? Could be. Uh, but that's incorrect. She wagered seventeen ninety nine, so she, she drops to a dollar. Brian wrote, who is Amundsen? I, you know, not a terrible guess. And wagered thirteen ninety nine. And Matt wrote, who is Magellan? Crossed it off and put Drake. But should have left it at Magellan because it is Magellan. And mm-hmm. uh, he wagered 34000 so he drops down to 10400 but still yeah. wins. Drake is a male duck, and I wonder if that swayed him at all. Like just having kind of a like a Drake bird association. Interesting. Kind of, yeah, I had a feeling that I had heard of Magellan penguins at some point. I don't really know when or why, but I started sort of listing explorers in my head, and when I got to Magellan, I was like Magellan penguin. That's, that feels like a thing. Interesting. We've talked many many times about how gratifying it is to uh to get the triple stumper agreed <laughs> uh magellanic magellanic penguin magellanic. It's the south american penguin yes. oh it is really cute it's a really cute penguin they are pretty cute yeah on tuesday august 10th we have the contestant silpa kovali a screenwriter from los angeles california Ali Lane, a technical editor from Rochester, New Hampshire, and Matt Amodio, a PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, whose 14-day cash winnings total $440,600. And we have the Jeopardy round categories inaugurating a president, compound words, books for kids, the Canines Film Festival, protest this, and a visit to the ISS with Dr. Katie Rubens, uh, Expedition 64 flight engineer, presenting video clues. I thought that was a very fun video category. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If anyone wants to look up a humorous, I think it's like on TikTok. Is it on YouTube? Hold on a second. There is a song by a comedian about 
an incident incident involving a female astronaut. The the comedian actually is the daughter of a former Jeopardy contestant, and uh, you can find the song if you Google one hundred tampons. So, <laughs> um, I, 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 it's it's a good use of your time. Yeah, go look it up. Maybe I'll try and remember to put up a link. Yeah, now it's going to be in my head. Hmm. Um, anyway, it, it, I, I thought of that when uh, it, at the $600 of that level of, uh, of that visit to the ISS category, we had a clue about ISS crew members have gone on more than 230 of these assembly and maintenance excursions. I, Dr. Kate Rubens, have been on four. And in 2019, Jessica Meyer and Christina Koch mm-hmm. made their made the first all-female one. Uh, they were looking for spacewalk. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, they had to postpone the first all-female spacewalk because because they didn't have the suits for more than one female astronaut. I do seem to, to recall that, yes. Yeah, yes. Real, um, real, real great look there. Yep. <laughs> but... Uh, but I guess they rectified that and got it done later. Yeah. <laughs> um, bless. Yeah. We we talked we just in the quiz in just in last last week's quiz the thousand dollar level of books for kids Merlin missions are books in this magic time traveling mm-hmm. series for older readers. Matt tried what's magic school bus that's incorrect Matt. Allie knew it it's the magic tree house. Yep. I had that same thought. I was like, oh, wow, we just talked about this. Just talked about that. Uh, yeah. Also in that category at the $400 level, you should know The Snowy Day by Ezra Jack Keats. Yep. Um, he, he wrote it because there were no children's books that uh, like black children could get from the library and see themselves in. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. all the children's books had white kids, and what are black kids supposed to, like, get from that, right? So, yep. then mm-hmm. back in 1962, right? Yeah. <laughs> still haven't figured it out. All right. Uh, Daily Double number one is in the inaugurating a president category. It's at the $800 level. Uh, Matt finds this. It's pick number six. He's at 2200 at this point. Allie's at 1000 Silpa's at zero. And he wagers all 2,200. He gets the clue. This man flubbed some of the words while administering the oath to Barack Obama. So they did it all again a day later. And he got that correct with who's John Roberts. Uh, At the end of the Jeopardy round, Matt is up to 10,600. Ali is at 4,400. Silpa is at 600. We have the double Jeopardy categories. Prophets of the Bible. Nations. 19th century music. A touch of glass. TV roles and also a body part. Well, we got the we got the daily doubles early. Mm-hmm. So uh, daily double number two comes up as the fourth pick of the round at the sixteen hundred dollar level of nineteenth century music. Uh, Matt finds it. He's at thirteen thousand. Allie's at six thousand. Silpa's at six hundred, and he wagers four thousand. And gets the clue, a veteran of the Battle of Waterloo, this German, who built his first piano in 1836, later made a grand turn to America. And Matt is stumped. He tries what's list. That is incorrect. They are looking for Henry Steinway. Um, I think that maybe Matt didn't focus in on built 
mm-hmm. his first piano and assumed he was looking for a performer yeah rather than an like an instrument maker I mean, right i don't i don't know if steinway presumably he could play well, yeah he probably right? could but he's <laughs> he more known is. for making them yeah. yeah yeah for sure uh and then we get emily's favorite thing daily double number three is the next pick back to back, back, to back. they gotta stop putting them both in the 1600 dollar level yeah. Unless they're trying to make it so that Matt can be caught by leaving stuff on the board. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. It's in the nation's category at the $1,600 level. So Matt gets this one. Scores are the same, except he's down by 4000 And he wagers another 4000 He gets the clue, 16 federal states make up Germany. This one that's home to Munich is the largest in area. And he gets that correct with what is Bavaria. Mm-hmm. Which rhymes with area. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that was a clue for him. Pro- hmm. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. But that's fun, though. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, we have a lock game. Matt's at 33,000. Ellie's at 12,800, which is a very respectable score. Yes. Um, people win from that position in normal circumstances. Silpa's at 1,400. People people don't as often win from that position, but, you know. Uh, when they you've got a Yeah, they have. And getting in at all when you've got like a buzzer fiend yeah. at the champion's podium is is a challenge um we have the final jeopardy category fictional places with the clue a savage people called zapolites are contrasted with the inhabitants of the title place of this 16th century work i feel like 16th century should give you most of what you need yeah here uh, Silpa has wagered $1,400. That's everything. And guesses what is Paradise Lost? That is incorrect. Allie has wagered $5,800. Um, and correctly responds, what is Utopia? That is the correct answer. Utopia by Thomas More. Um, but Matt is in a locked position, has the correct answer. What is Utopia? And wagers 2000 which takes him up to $35,000 and uh, makes him our champion for Wednesday's game. That's right. On Wednesday, we have the contestants Max Wagner, a musician originally from Chicago, Illinois, Brianna Weck, a community engagement manager from Arlington, Virginia, and Matt Amodio, a PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, who's 15-day cash winnings. Total $475,600. Very close to that half a million mark. We have the Jeopardy round categories. Lock talk. An august category. Three-syllable verbs. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. And have a few laughs. I thought we had a couple of kind of funny um moments with like a nice rapport Mm -hmm. between joe buck and max in particular Mm -hmm. but he he just seemed to be like kind of joshing around with the with the contestants a little bit more than we've seen most of the guest hosts do and i enjoyed it me too um yeah in particular when they were looking for the name of the late comic who was handing out compliments in caddyshack matt tried what's Rickles Max got it with Rodney Dangerfield Dangerfield um and uh they kind of traded quotes back and forth yeah for a beat there it was fun yeah yeah I mean yeah the pace of the game might have slowed down a little bit but it was it was nice it was entertaining yeah Mm -hmm. 
three syllable verbs were like somehow harder than you would think. It's syllables and you're looking for three of them, but just somehow like we kept ending up with I mean Matt Matt counted them out on his fingers one time. Um uh it just it just seemed like they were like for whatever reason like the the contestants were having to like work extra hard to verify that they were in fact coming up with three syllable mm-hmm. words mm-hmm. um yeah i think they're we're more used to seeing letter counts on jeopardy right anyway daily double number one is at the 800 dollars level of an august category it's the 14th pick Matt finds this one. He's at 6,000. Brianna's at 2,800. Max is at 1,000. And um, Matt makes it a true daily double. The clue is August 1990. Sue Hendrickson discovers a 40-foot long skeleton of this. And Matt really struggled with that. Um, He said, what's dinosaur? Joe said, we're going to need more specific. Um, And just as the buzzer was starting to ring he said what's t-rex uh-huh. um and that's correct yeah where is sue located the field museum in uh, chicago? the field museum yes sue is in the field museum in chicago that's correct yeah, yeah. i he must not know that the fossil is named sue because i felt like that was like easy right yeah if yeah so mm-hmm. if he had known that it probably would have gotten there quickly but he obviously didn't make that connection or anything so yeah at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Matt's at 15,600, Brianna's at 4,000, Max is at 3,000. And we have the double Jeopardy categories China's Cultural Revolution, name that Shakespeare play, math, fruits and vegetables, deeper cuts on their albums, and ish list, I S H in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. We left a couple on the board here and. I guess maybe maybe the you know the back and forth from Joe Buck was slowing things down, but it did not feel like this game was moving slow. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and we like no, it felt like it was moving. Yeah, I guess we had a number of incorrect answers, but yeah. Emily, do you know what a mangosteen is? I mean, I know that it exists and is a fruit, and <laughs> I did come up with it. Oh, okay. Uh, so you were able. Okay. Cool. Yeah, cool. yeah, I got that one. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I did. I saw the picture that, that we're talking about the two thousand dollar level of fruits and vegetables, um, and they had a picture. And then the clue: langoustine is a shellfish. This similar word is a tropical fruit, um, and it does. It looks like a lychee. My first thought was that's a lychee, and then I thought that doesn't that doesn't fit with the langoustine part of the clue. And I remembered that mangosteine was a thing that I'd heard of. So yeah, I I came up with that one. But also they missed the $800 level related to peaches and nectarines. This smaller relative that's a good source of vitamin A can be pronounced with a long or a short A. That is the apricot. Or apricot. No. If you want to be pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is a a long-running debate in my household. Mm. I pronounce uh, it apricot, whereas my husband pronounces it incorrectly. Okay. Are they yeah. pralines or pralines? Uh, we say pralines. Both of us say pralines. Okay. What do you say? I say pralines, but I hear pralines yeah. an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about, oh, what's the other one? Caramel, water fountain. 
soda. Oh, like no. Coke versus <laughs> oh, versus yeah, no, not yeah, a name are, brand for everything. Are, yeah, those are those are actually the things I just started naming are things where you have a different name for them depending on what where you're from, not not just different yeah. regional pronunciations. Um, oh, uh, pecans. Yes, that's the one. Pecan or pecan. Yep. Or pecan. Or pecan. Yeah, is it pecan or pecan? Yeah, we. I, I say pecan. Pecan. I. I just am never going to be able to shake that it like sounds gross (laughs) (laughs) it is a pecan that's a fair that's fair yeah all right daily double number two is in the china's cultural revolution category at the 1600 dollars level matt finds it it's pick number 10 in the round he is at twenty one thousand two hundred. brianna is at 7200 and max is at 3000 he wagers 2000 which he tends to do when he's in a lock position he tends to go smaller Mm -hmm. Uh, He gets the clue, also called Quotations from Chairman Mao. This colorful book was carried by the revolution's most zealous adherents. And he gets correct with what is the little red book. And uh, Daily Double number three is the 20th pick at the $800 level of math. And Matt finds this one as well. Um, He's at 25,200 at this point. Uh, Brianna's at 8,800. Max is at 4,200. And Matt wagers just 2,000. And gets the clue, it's a statement of a relationship such as greater than or less than. It's also a socioeconomic issue. And he correctly responds, what is inequality? Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Matt's in a locked position. How many times have we said that? He's at 31,600, mm-hmm. Brianna's at 8,800, and Max is at 5,400. Uh, the final Jeopardy category is World Flags, and the clue, the use of red, yellow, and green as Pan-African colors began with the flag of this nation, the continent's oldest independent country. Max answered, what is Zimbabwe, which uh, has not been independent for terribly long in the grand scheme of things. Uh, mm-hmm. It was Rhodesia and part of uh, South African colonies for a long time. Uh, yeah. He wagered everything, so he drops to zero. Brianna wrote, what is Liberia, which has been an independent nation for much for longer, uh, but its flag is very similar to our flag because we, like the United States, founded that country. Uh, so they're red, white, and blue. Uh, so that's incorrect. And she wagered 2001. And Matt, uh, again, for the second time this week, Wrote down the correct answer and crossed it off. He wrote, what is Ethiopia? Crossed it off and went with, what is Egypt? Uh, But it Mm -hmm. is, in fact, Ethiopia. Uh, And he wagered 2,000. So he still wins with 29,600. Man, I tell you what, Mm -hmm. if you're going on Jeopardy anytime soon, learn everything about Ethiopia. Because the writers have been on a real Ethiopia kick. And I'm sure that'll dry up soon or at some point. Mm -hmm. But for right now, learn about Ethiopia. Yeah. On Thursday... We have the contestants Ruth Reichard, a judicial educator from Indianapolis, Indiana, Steve Spillman, a product manager from Los Angeles, California, and Matt Amodio, a PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, whose 16-day cash winnings at this point total $505,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories Unusual Islands, Time for Seconds, Colorful Pro Sports Teams, Shirt Shorts, Riddle Me This, and dumb answers. So that's like a play on the stupid answers category, except it's they're all actually like synonyms for like dumb 
as in yeah. not very smart. Yeah, or like idioms mm-hmm. having to do with lacking intelligence. Yeah, I think that would have surprised me. I think I would have uh, likely missed the difference between stupid answers, the kind of uh, Jeopardy, uh, recurring Jeopardy category, mm-hmm. and dumb answers, which was something else. Yeah. I feel like we had some like crossover between categories yeah, like red like red shirt kind of like ran together with some of the uh the colorful sports teams mm-hmm. in my brain and like red shirt red socks red bulls um <laughs> everything's red mm-hmm. uh and we had um a reference to the st louis cardinals which joe buck was into because that's uh where he was from before he was on fox is that right i don't know sure um yeah Oh, and then also uh, the the other thing that sort of amused me was um, we coincidentally had a couple of Bible references, not in Bible categories. One was in time for seconds and another one was, was in riddle me this. Um, but those two clues happened to be called back to back so that for a second it felt like we were in like an entirely different category that wasn't on the board. Yeah. Like when that kind of thing happens. <laughs> one was about um, King Herod and the Jerusalem temple and the other was about samson of the samson and delilah story yeah daily double number one is actually the first pick in the round immediate it's at the thousand dollar level of unusual islands matt starts there uh so everyone has zero and he wagers a thousand the clue is mayaki islanders have worn masks to thwart this element atomic number 16 prevalent in the air due to gassy mount oyama and Matt gets that correct with what is sulfur. Mm-hmm. Masks work. Yes. Uh, so that's the beginning of the round. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matt is up to 11,800. Steve is in the red at negative 200. And Ruth is at 800. They had a real tough time getting off the ground in that first first round. In the double Jeopardy round, we have the categories classic British novels, historic groups, con game, C-O-N in quotation marks, features of the moon, City Transportation, and the Gershwin Prize. I don't think I knew that the Gershwin Prize existed. Yeah. But I but I did get a few of those clues. Nice. Correct. Yay. Yay. In the con game category, we had, I think, one of the few times where I, where I think we, we saw Joe not quite sort of having all the intricacies of hosting down uh the clue was this synonym for a magician comes from latin for swear together uh steve tried what's a confabulous that is incorrect ruth rang in and said conjurer and then joe responded conjurer (laughs) and then uh ruth realized that she had not asked in In the form of of a question of a question and, and uh and corrected herself to what is conjurer I think if the if you have a contestant who is who has the correct response but hasn't uh, phrased it in the form of a question, I think that what the host is supposed to do at that point is just wait and see if they'll correct themselves. You're not supposed to confirm or deny. Yeah, I think the answer. Typically, Alex would give some space for you to catch it mm-hmm. um, before ruling incorrect. Yeah. 
Um, because if they do have to, if you don't put it in the form of a question, they are supposed to rule you incorrect. And that means that it's open for the third contestant to try and get in. Mm -hmm. And if the host has confirmed that the answer was correct, then they know that the answer was correct and the, and the phrasing was the problem. Mm -hmm. And that's like, you know, the money is like even more free, (laughs) lower risk for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the Features of the Moon category at the $2,000 level. It's the 16th pick, and Matt finds it. He's at $22,600 at this point. Ruth is at $8,000. Steve is down in the red at negative $1,400. Matt wagers just $1,000 and gets the clue. Apollo 17 astronauts landed near a mountain called South Bis. You may be familiar with the Vinson one in Antarctica. And Matt knows that one. That is Massif. And Daily Double number three is in the top row. It's at the $400 Mm -hmm. level of classic British novels. Pick number 23, Ruth finds it. And she's at 10,000. Matt's at 25,600. Steve is at 1,400. And she wagers 9,000. Gotta go for it. Especially at the $400 level. It's like, you got the best shot here. Uh, yeah. So she gets the clue. Scene here is a cover for one of the earlier editions of this Wells novel, and obviously they show a picture of it. She gets it correct with what is the Invisible Man. I don't know how you show an Invisible Man, but it does. So, so she jumps up to nineteen thousand. And at the end of the Jeopardy round, Matt is at thirty thousand four hundred, but it's not a lock game because Ruth is at twenty one thousand. Steve is just at two hundred, but he has made it out of the red and does get to play uh, in the final Jeopardy round, where the category is blockbuster movies, and the clue is based on a nineteen seventy four novel. This film has been described as combining an enemy of the people and Moby Dick. Steve. Uh, responds just what is I had fun um, <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Uh, yeah and he wagered 99 yeah, he was going to finish in third regardless so using it for uh, for a message I think is a fine choice Ruth did not come up with anything uh, she has what is blank and she's wagered 21,000 I think a smaller wager from her is strategically better wagering under 2200 is going to be your optimal optimal move yep um uh but matt is the only one who has this one correct uh with what is jaws honestly like jaws came to me right away just based on moby dick and 1970s film Mm -hmm. um i was not as sure where an enemy of the people fit in and I was like, is this is this too easy? Is this some is there something I'm missing? Uh, anyway, Jaws is correct, and Matt has wagered twelve thousand, which brings him up to forty two thousand four hundred, and takes us into Friday. Yep, last game of the season, and we have the contestants: Nicole Newlist, a chart caller and freelance writer from Chicago, Illinois; mm-hmm. Eric She, a project manager originally from Houston, Texas; and Matt Amodio, PhD student from New Haven, Connecticut, who's now seventeen day cash winnings, or five hundred forty-seven thousand six hundred dollars. We have the Jeopardy round categories: the late great Chadwick Boseman, events of the eighteen fifties, no egrets, the proud parent company, think big, and idioms. 
That, mm-hmm. that no egrets category was a bird category, but there were no egrets in it. Yes, I, uh, I, I got thrown off by that one a little bit. Uh, for the first couple of clues because it was like, wait, these aren't about egrets. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what they, they told it's you. right there in the title. <laughs> yeah, they weren't lying. Yeah. My eight-year-old was watching with me and was delighted to see the $400 level of Think Big as part of a 2017 promotion. A pair of briefs with a 76-foot wide waistband was made for this Dave Pilkey kids book character. That's Captain Underpants. That is Matt Captain Underpants. Matt got that Underpants. one. Captain Underpants. Dave Pilkey is great. Yeah. Anything that gets kids reading, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are clever books. I, I like, yep. like, I mean, I read them when, you know, I was a kid or whatever, but also I've looked back at some of the ones that, like, you know, were on my, my mom's shelf from when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. I, like, look through them. I'm like, these are still funny. Mm-hmm. These are quality. Yeah. Yep, they're they're funny. There are there are clever like uses of like you know literary devices. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like all kinds of like references built in. Um, yeah, Dave Pilkey has actually also been like an outspoken person with ADHD um, hmm. and talked about like you know that experience and what it was like for him as a kid and how it sort of informs like how he he thinks it like helps him be a good writer um and a good writer for children um he also has a a a robot whose name or like model number is ATHD. um i think in the dogman books Hmm. um yeah anyway big fan we love dave pilkey yeah at the 800 dollar level of events of the 1850s um, we had like a, a wording subtlety that caused a miss. The clue there was later the model for a musical character. Buddhist scholar Mongkut was crowned King Rama IV of the nation then called this. Uh, Nicole Rangan, they said, what is Thailand? That is incorrect. Eric got it with Siam. So the then called mm-hmm. was what you had to pick up on. Yep. And... Joe Buck, the way he ruled that was really weird, I remember, because she said, what is Thailand? And he said, Thailand is incorrect. Like, <laughs> took a while to get there. <laughs> yeah. Like, at first he thought Thailand was acceptable, and then it was like, nope, it's yeah. not. The judges like are shaking their like, head, and I'm yeah, telling you it's wrong. Yeah, his earpiece or something, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Daily Double number one is at the $800 level of idioms. Um, and Nicole finds it as the eighth pick. Uh, Nicole is at 2,000. Matt's at 3,000. Eric's at 800. Nicole wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. A jug does it. A sieve and an improbable story don't. Um, and Nicole correctly responds. What is hold water? Yeah. Yeah. Brings them into the lead for a, for a moment. Yeah. There. We're used to seeing Matt get out to a big lead and, and keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a change. It's yes, a change indeed. of pace. Um, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Nicole's at 7,000. Matt's at 6,600. Eric is at 4,000. And we get the double Jeopardy categories. Canals. Novel vocabulary. Helen, not of Troy. Crossword clues. Q. Hey, we've seen that before. Yeah. Uh, lost... And Foundry. <laughs> no quince in this one, though. Yeah, no. 
I rang in on that Quince question with the word kumquat in my head and then had to scramble. <laughs> uh, I tried to ring in that question also with kumquat in my head. No so, way! yeah, I was like, you got in and I was like, oh, it's kumquat. And then you were like, Quince? And I it was right. Let you and get I was in. like, I'm glad I didn't get in on that one. Mm, now I'm sad you didn't get in on that one. I could have gotten it as a rebound. It would have been worth more. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's That was always a good feeling when I was like, I didn't get in first. I'm like, oh, man. And then it ended up being something different than I thought. And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. That worked out for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We all have learned a lot about the Suez Canal recently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> That was my favorite news story of the year so far. I think. It's up there. Uh, we had a we had a question in the canals category about what two bodies of water the Suez connects, noting it, that it was that it is one of the world's busiest shipping lanes. It connects the Mediterranean and the Red Sea, um, and like <laughs> Not a, a lot more people learned that recently. Yeah, it doesn't connect them if the Ever Given's there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> doesn't connect nothing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Daily Devil number two is in the novel vocabulary category at the $1,200 level. It's pick number five. Matt finds it. He is tied with Nicole at 7,800. Eric is at 4,000, and he makes it a true Daily Double. He gets the clue. This title heroine of a 1913 novel now means someone who's cheerful to the point of being irritating. And, you know, with a lot of his responses... He seems unsure of things, but he gets an awful lot of them right. <laughs> so he mm-hmm. he says, what's Pollyanna? And it does seem like he's kind of like, I'm not, I don't know about this, but it's correct. And yep. uh, he doubles up. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Daily Double number three um, is at the $2,000 level of Lost. It's the 15th pick. Nicole finds it. They're at 15,800 to Matt's 20,400 and Eric's 2,000. Um, this is the point when I shouted, make a big wager from my couch. And Nicole wagered 5,000, which could put them in the lead. The clue is the biblical Asher and Zebulun were two of these that, despite the name, reached the promised land. I feel like Nicole maybe sort of forgot the category here and only came up with who were Israelites. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're looking for the lost tribes of Israel. Yeah. That was a really exciting moment because I was was like, oh my gosh, that's a third daily double Mm -hmm. and they could be ahead of Matt at that point. Mm -hmm. And there's, and there's, we're halfway through the round. Like it could, it could be a real, real nail biter. But yeah. uh, um, if anyone's still, like, if you still have this, like, on your DVR, um, watching Matt's face yeah. at, at the 30th clue mm-hmm. of the round, I rewound it, like, six times. You could see him. Um, it, it's important to know that the scores uh, displayed for the contestants are up and to the left. And you see Matt's eyes flick over there. You see his face as he realizes that if he gets this correct, it will be a lock tie game. Mm-hmm. Um, and like his, his whole reaction through that whole 30th clue is just unbelievable. It was so great. Yeah. Yeah. And so he does get that. And so at the end of the double jeopardy round, he is at 27,200. Nicole is exactly half of that. 
at 13,600. So it's not a runaway. Uh, and Eric is back at 2,400. Mm-hmm. We get the final Jeopardy category, 19th century American women. And the clue, two of the three women depicted on the first statue of real women in Central Park unveiled in August 2020. I believe I have mentioned this in a deep dive. Although, I believe that. Although, I, as I'm saying that, I think it's not one that you were with me with. I think this was when Lori mm, was here. Yeah, maybe. Eric wrote, who are smiley face? That's incorrect. Uh, and he wagered zero. Uh, Nicole wrote, who are Tubman and Truth? Which are good guesses, but not exactly what, what this particular sculpture is for. Uh, and Nicole wagered everything, which is the right move in this case. Mm-hmm. Like, you you have to challenge the, the first place person. If you get it right, you're forcing them to have bet something and also need to get it right. Uh, yeah. So Nicole drops to zero. And mm-hmm. Matt uh, got it correct with who is Anthony and Stanton and wagered one dollar. Mm-hmm. So Matt closes out the season as an 18-day champion. $574,801. He gets mm-hmm. a break. He gets to come back in a, in a month or so and just keep tearing it up. Uh, so the correct response, the, the three people are Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. This is a statue celebrating like women's suffrage and the movement for women's rights mm-hmm. in the 19th century. Harriet Tubman, of course, was extremely important and influential, and we need to honor and recognize as much as possible. Yeah, so those three, which uh, if you do go back to my deep dive about Sojourner Truth... I did mention this, this particular statue. Anyway. Um, I I like that uh, each of the women in the statue did get mentioned once Mm -hmm. in the, in the responses, you know, like between, between the contestants, they got all of them. They did. You know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think we've talked about this strategy before, um, but I I explained it to my eight year old on the couch and he he got it. Um, (laughs) Matt has a couple of choices here. He can wager a dollar and then he has to get it correct Mm -hmm. but if he does he will win or he can wager zero and then his worst case scenario is that they go to a tiebreaker i i think either one is a valid choice depending on your assessment of you know your strengths and weaknesses your opponent's strengths and weaknesses Um, The category might be worth considering if it's especially strong for them and weak for you or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think either way is valid. I tend to want to just settle it, you know. Um, But if I, you know, if I were in that position and saw a category where I was like, this is really not my category, Mm -hmm. forcing it to to a tiebreaker on some other topic might sound better. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, with Matt's dominance on the buzzer, I think against most contestants, he'd probably feel okay. But Nicole was challenging, challenging him, him on the buzzer throughout the game. Yeah. And it's possible he thought, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I will get that tiebreaker. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's the end of the week. That's the end. That's a wrap for season 37. Season 37. It's been weird. It's been real weird, but you know what? It fits with this last year, so... 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not the weirdest thing that has happened in the last year. Uh, and that's the end of the guest host run, which will be nice. Yeah. That by itself, like, I I didn't mind it. I enjoyed most of the guest hosts, uh, but I think I think getting to something consistent again will be nice. Yeah, agreed. Um, and this is the point in the show where we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can uh, you find ways to support us financially there for really any dollar amount. Uh, it just helps us be able to do this without losing money on it. You know, we're not looking to try and make a living. You know, we're, we're not trying to make a lot of money or really hardly make any money. We're just looking to cover our expenses for it. So if you feel like that's worth it to you, you can go ahead and slide us a few bucks on Patreon. Uh, you can also help us out without any financial contribution uh, by giving us ratings or reviews. That bumps it up, makes it more available for other people to listen. You know, maybe, maybe people, even if they're not super interested in Jeopardy, maybe they just want to check it out. And, mm-hmm. uh, like we always do, we remind you that, you know, uh, there is more to our world than just this quiz show. And there are ways that you can help to make it better for your neighbors, for yourself, for your community at large. And we point you to blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and the Stop AAPI Hate uh, GoFundMe database. Mm-hmm. Emily, deep dive guesses what you got. All right. Are we talking about the flying tigers? We are not talking about the flying tigers, though they sound interesting. All right. Um, what about Ethiopia? No, I strongly consider. I was like, you know what? We should talk about Ethiopia. But no, I'm not doing Ethiopia this week. Okay. I'm sure it'll come up again. We'll have another chance. All right. I've got three more on my list. I've got to pick one. Pick one. Um... Boeing. We are not talking about Boeing. No, indeed we are not. We are talking about the Monday game Final Jeopardy Triple Stumper. We talked about the Magellanic Penguins. Yay! The clue is a penguin species found in southern South America is named for this 16th century man whose crew were the first from Europe to see them. We're not actually talking... My, my deep dive is not we're about the penguins. We're talking about Magellan, we're, not the penguins. We're talking about Magellan. Okay. The penguins, okay, that's good. The penguins right, are super well, cute. Not a lot of info there unless we want to get fair. really deep into uh, zoology that I am not in any way mm-hmm. qualified to talk about at all. Fair. So. Okay. All right. Well, Magellan's good, too. I got excited about penguins for a hot second. <laughs> oh, oh, penguins. Yeah. But no, we're, we're, we'll, we're talking about Magellan and uh, his circumnavigation, which actually I learned uh, was kind of like an incomplete circumnavigation of him. Like, well, I'll talk about what that what that is. He is credited as the first person to circumnavigate the globe. And that is... By all intents and purposes, technically correct. But I'll talk about how it's, like, not not entirely accurate. Uh, so, Ferdinand Magellan was born in the Portuguese town of Sabrosa on February 4th, 1480. Uh, his father, Pedro, was a minor member of Portuguese nobility and the mayor of the town. Uh, his mother was Alda de Mesquita, and he had siblings, uh, including Diego de Soso, and Isabel Magellan, uh, among others. He was brought up as a page of Queen Eleanor of Viseu, who was a Portuguese princess and, and queen consort, uh, consort to King John II of 
Portugal, who was known as the Perfect Prince. And in 1495, he entered the service of Manuel I, who was John's successor. Uh, he served in the Portuguese Navy and as a like an explorer and sailor for Portugal uh, for his early life. In March of 1505, at the age of 25, he enlisted in the fleet of 22 ships, which is also known as the 7th Indian Armada, uh, and was sent to uh, Portuguese India. Uh, and he hosted the first Viceroy of Portuguese India through there. Um, so that was his first expedition to the Indies, you know, out east. He remained there for eight years in Goa and Cochin and Quilon, and he participated in a number of battles out there. He was wounded in battle, and it's understood that in one of those, you know, from one of those battles, he was wounded in the knee and walked with a limp for the rest of his life. He later sailed under Diogo Lopez de Siqueira in the first Portuguese embassy to Malacca with his friend and maybe relative, the records are not super clear, uh, Francisco Sarral. Uh, he, after arriving in Malacca, the expedition fell victim to a conspiracy and ended in retreat. Um, but Magellan played an important role in kind of saving a number of the uh, a, a number of lives on the Portuguese side. In 1511, under a new governor, he and Sarau uh, participated in the conquest of Malacca, and after that, they parted ways. Uh, Magellan was promoted, and he. Uh, became kind of a, at the time, a favorite of the royalty. Uh, Sarau went uh, further east to the Spice Island in the Moluccas, uh, where he remained. Uh, they remained in contact, and it's considered that the, the, his letters to Magellan kind of like motivated Magellan to uh, eventually seek out this uh, expedition that he would become so famous for later. Uh, however, Magellan fell out of favor uh, a little while later, after taking leave without permission, he was accused of illegally trading with Moors in Morocco, and even though the accusations were proven false, uh, he received no offers of employment uh, after 15th of May, 1514, in Portugal. He had a, an argument with King Manuel I in 1517. He had been requesting funds to go on an expedition uh, seeking a, a a westward route to India. Of course, that sounds kind of familiar, right? The Christopher Columbus expedition mm -hmm. was ostensibly seeking to find a westward route to the Indies, um, but instead just ran into the Americas, right? And it pretty quickly became clear that they were not in India, right? It, 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 it wasn't the idea that, like, for, you know, for a long time, we just thought it was India. No, it, it, like, pretty quickly they figured out it was a different continent. So, you know, even by 1517, just, you know, 20, 25 years later, everyone knows that they still hadn't gotten there. After that argument, he left for Spain. Magellan left for Spain. So he moved to Seville. Uh, he got married, had two children, both of whom died at a young age, and his wife died in Seville around 1521 while he was uh, on his expedition. So the, uh, the voyage itself, it's pretty soon after this that he engages on the voyage itself. The Magellan Expedition, which is also known as the Magellan Elcano Expedi Expedition, uh, was sponsored by the Spanish monarchy, by King Charles I of, uh, of Spain. There were a couple of reasons for this. Under the Treaty of Torcedillas, or uh, Treaty of Tordesillas, I always mix it up, Treaty of Tordesillas, 
which actually was the first daily double that I got correct on Jeopardy. Mm. Under that treaty, it gave Portugal control of eastern routes to Asia that went around Africa. Mm. That's why so much of uh, the African coast, especially the South African coast, was under Portuguese control or has Portuguese like language influence and cultural influence. Those belonged to Portugal, according to this treaty. And all westward routes, not only to India, but also just westward across the Atlantic, belonged to Spain. So Charles I, who was the young king of Spain and future Holy Roman Emperor thought, you know, maybe there is a lucrative opportunity here to find a westward route to the Spice Islands to open that up to us and kind of, you know, work into that market. Uh, so Charles approved the expedition and provided most of the funding. King Manuel I of Portugal uh, saw this as an insult. And uh, records are kind of not super clear or, you know, not necessarily reliable. But it is pretty well understood that he did try to disrupt this expedition from happening. Whether that means, you know, like, just kind of, like, asking some friends to try and get in the way or legitimately sending assassins after him, it varies on, you know, which telling you look at. But uh, it's pretty much agreed upon that King Manuel did try to stop this expedition from from happening. Uh, Magellan's fleet consisted of five ships carrying supplies for two years' worth of travel. Uh, the crew consisted of 270 men of different origins. 60, About 60% of the crew were Spaniards, mostly from Castile, then Portuguese and Italian, as well as some French, some Greek, some from Flanders, Germany, Ireland. Uh, there was even an English sailor and one from Malaysia, although that Malaysian sailor was basically Magellan's slave. When Charles I... Uh, approved this and, um, you know, got things moving. Uh, he named both Magellan and the cosmographer Rui Faliero, uh, another Portuguese subject in Spain. Um, he named them both commanders of the Order of Santiago and in doing so uh, gave them m monopoly of the discovered route for a period of 10 years he gave them their appointment as governors of the lands and islands found with 5% of the resulting net gains, a fifth of the gains of all the travel, the right to levy 1,000 ducats on upcoming trips, paying only 5% of the remainder, and granting an island for each one apart from the six richest, from which they would receive a 15th. So for Magellan and his cosmographer, that looked pretty good. The cosmographer is like the person who makes like star charts and things like that. Um, so, the ships, there were five ships, four of them were Carracks, or Spanish Caracas, or Portuguese Nau, which are like, you know, multi-masted sailing ships, what you think of as like the big ships at the time. And one was a Caravel, which is a triangular rigged ship, uh, much more, much faster, more agile, uh, more like a clipper kind of thing. So the Trinidad was the flagship, captained by Magellan himself. The San Antonio uh, was captained by Juan de Cartagena, who was a Spaniard. The Concepcion was captained by Gaspar de Casada, who was also a Spaniard. The Santiago was the Caravel, which was uh, captained by Jao Serrao, who was a, a Portuguese. And the Victoria was captained by Luis Mendoza, who was also a Spaniard. On 10th of August, 1519, the five ships left Seville and went down the Guadalquivir River, 
They then stayed at the mouth of the river for more than five weeks. And finally, on the September 20th, 1519, they left Spain. They stopped in the Canary Islands and took in uh, supplies. Um, and reportedly, Magellan received a secret message from his father-in-law at the time, warning him that some of the Castilian captains were planning a mutiny with Juan de Cartagena as the ringleader of the conspiracy. He also learned that King, that King Manuel of Portugal had sent, a, sent a, a fleet of caravels after them to arrest them. So they, uh, they took off pretty quick. They left the Canary Islands and sailed south along the coast of Africa. Cartagena wanted to go more west, wanted to just he head out straight across the ocean more, uh, but Magellan decided to follow the African coast in order to eva evade the Portuguese who were following them. As they reached the equator, they uh, ran into some storms, but after two weeks of that, they had some calm waters, and then finally they caught the South Equatorial Current uh, across the ocean. So during the ocean crossing, the Victorian's boatswain Antonio Solomon was caught in an act of sodomy with a cabin boy, and at the time, homosexuality was punishable by death in Spain, though in practice, sex between men was normal on ships on long naval voyages, it was kind of a common thing. But Magellan held a trial and found Solomon guilty, sen sentencing him to death by strangulation. He was executed on, on December 20th, after the fleet's landfall in Brazil. Uh, following the trial, Magellan's captains challenged his leadership. So this is the first attempted mutiny. Cartagena accused Magellan of risking the king's ships by his choice of route sailing toward Africa, instead of just going across, and he said he would no longer follow Magellan's command, but Magellan was able to uh, call in reinforcements and the the mutinous captains were taken uh, prisoner. Cartagena was placed in stocks, but he was convinced not to sentence Cartagena to death. Um, and so uh, Cartagena was relieved of his command of San Antonio, but they were the captains were all spared after that first attempt. So they arrived in Brazil, on 29th of, of November, 1519, uh, around Cape St. Augustine. Uh, they continued to sail south after collecting some Brazil wood, um, and they carried a map of the Brazilian coastline, so they were able to kind of know where they were going. On the 13th of December, they reached Rio de Janeiro. Um, they made no permanent settlement at the time there. Uh, they also didn't see any Portuguese ships in harbor, but they, they still moved on a little bit after, after less than two weeks. They found the Rio de, de la Plata, and uh, they thought that it was hopefully a strait that would allow them passage through South America to the Spice Islands, but uh, it wasn't. It's a river. So they sailed up the river for a bit, but had to turn around because they found themselves in fresh water uh, and headed back to the ocean. So they had a bit of a, a false start there toward the Pacific, um, thinking they were getting there, but they were just going up the Rio de la Plata. On the 3rd of February, they continued south along the South American coast, believing they would find a strait eventually, but they would actually sail for another eight weeks without finding passage before stopping to overwinter at St. Julian. Uh, so by the third week of March, weather conditions had become so bad that Magellan decided they should find a safe harbor and wait out the winter. So on the 31st of March, 1520, uh, they went into a uh, safe break in the coast at that they called Port St. Julian. They stayed there five months before they continued sailing. Uh, within a day of landing at St. Julian, there was another mutiny attempt. This one was also led by Juan de Cartagena. 
uh, along with the other Spanish captains, Gaspar de Quesada and Luis Mendoza. Again, they questioned Magellan's leadership and accused him of recklessly endangering the fleet's crews and ships. However, they planned this one out a lot more than the other one. Uh, around midnight, midnight of Easter Sunday, April 1st, uh, Cartagena and Quesada led 30 armed men uh, in disguise and like with you know covered in charcoal and dark clothes aboard the San Antonio, where they ambushed the new captain and uh, took over the ship. They pointed cannons at the Trinidad, but didn't do anything else. The following morning, they were attempting to consolidate their forces on the San Antonio, but uh, a longboat of sailors drifted off course and was taken in by the Trinidad. Uh, Magellan was able to like coax out what was going on, and he was able to launch a counteroffensive against the other ships. He sent a representative over uh, who was claiming to have a message for Captain Mendoza when he was brought into Captain Mendoza's chambers. His representative stabbed him in the throat immediately, uh, and pretty quickly the ship was able to be retaken. Uh, Cartagena begged Magellan for mercy. Casada attempted to flee, but was prevented from doing so. So Cartagena was captured, so was Casada. They had a trial. They were all found guilty. Quesada was beheaded, and the bodies of Quesada and Mendoza were drawn and quarter, quartered and displayed on gibbets for fo the following three months. So things were pretty brutal throughout this uh, mm. throughout this trip. Also, uh, Cartagena, along with uh, a with Father Pedro Sanchez de Reina, were marooned on an island before they left Saint Julian. They lost the ship, the Santiago, uh, to an ocean storm uh, in late April. It capsized, uh, and so that ship was lost. And they continued on down to Santa Cruz a little bit later during that winter in August. On the 18th of October, the fleet left Santa Cruz heading south. Now that the weather was turning, resumed their search for a passage. On October 21st, they spotted the 52 degrees south latitude, which they named Cape Virginis. Uh, and past that cape, they found a large bay. Uh, and as they sailed into that bay and continued exploring it, they were like concerned that they would have a similar thing like the Rio de la Plata. But um, instead, they, you know, the water remained deep, remained salty, and they found the passage they were looking for, which came to be known as the Strait of Magellan. This is down at the southern tip of uh, South America. On October 28th, they reached an island in that strait, likely either Elizabeth Island or Dawson Island, and they explored those paths. But the San Antonio never rejoined the fleet. The San Antonio, it turns out, had actually just turned around and decided to go back to Spain. Uh, so <laughs> Magellan was down two ships. Uh, but they made it to the Pacific, where he named the waters Mar Pacifico, because he said it was he thought it was very still and passive. So it's the, he named it the Pacific Ocean. So they crossed the Pacific, the three ships that remained. They had no idea how big the Pacific Ocean was, because Europeans just like hadn't tried to cross it before, right? They didn't, they hadn't been there. Uh, he imagined that South America was separated from the Spice Islands by a small sea, which he expected to cross in as little as three or four days. And in fact, it took three months and 20 days before they reached Guam and then the Philippines. But they brought enough supplies, so that was good. They, they took an altered course um, from the coast of Chile, and they could have run into a number of islands if they had just differed their slight their course slightly, however, they really did not run into much uh, until they came to Guam and then the Philippines. Most of the men suffered from scurvy, 
uh, during the crossing, and many of them died or were very sick. On the 6th of March, 1521, they reached the Mariana Islands and, uh, and landed at Guam, where they met the native Chamorro people. Another, like, example of just, like, terrible European imperialism. A bunch of Chamorros came on the ship, and, you know, they were, they were just interested. They came on board. They're, like, they're, they're seeing things. And they took some stuff. They thought, um, it seemed like the, they believed that they were having some kind of, like, trading interaction. Then they found some things that they found interesting. Uh, but the crew got physical. Uh, at least one Chamorro was killed. And, uh, the next day after the natives fled the ship, Magellan sent a raiding party ashore, which looted and burned 40 or 50 Chamorro houses and killed, <clears throat> killed a number of them as well. And then they left. So there we go. Then they got to the Philippines on March 16th, stayed there until the May 1st. Uh, and this expedition represents the first documented European contact with the Philippines. He met uh, a number of local leaders, including the, the chief Lapu-Lapu, as well as Raja Humabon. And they got right to work converting the local tribes to Christianity. They had their first mass in the Philippines on Easter Sunday, March 31st, 1521. And, uh, you know, that's a notable thing in the Philippines. They held a, a conference to decide the fleet's next course of action in Cebu on April 2nd. And his officers urged him to head southwest for Molucas, but he wanted to go further into the Philippines. So they did. They, this is where they met Raja Homabon, um, who liked them at first a lot and actually even like may have actually converted. Uh, he and his family were baptized on April 14th. Who knows if he knew like really what that meant. But then he learned that a group on the island of Mactan, led by Lapu-Lapu, resisted Christian conversion. And he ordered his men to burn their homes because that's the best way to spread, you know, the, the gospel and the message of peace. They continued to resist, and he informed his council on the 26th of April that he would bring an armed contingent to Macton and make them submit under threat of force. He brought a force of 60 armed men, and as they attempted to wade to shore, they were uh, met by a large, large group of, of natives who uh, severely outnumbered them. And in the fighting, Magellan's forces were driven back, and he was killed on the beach. Uh, so he died in the Philippines. Uh, after that, the remaining men held an election to select a new leader for the expedition. Uh, on May 1st, Raja Humabon, who had been an ally before, invited the men ashore for a great feast. It was attended by about 30 of the remaining uh, uh, expeditionaries. Um, and toward the end of the meal, uh, armed natives entered the hall and murdered the Europeans. Uh, so... Pretty clear that they were no longer welcome. After that, the ship or the, the 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 fleet went to the Malukas, the Spice Islands, where they had been intending to go originally. So Magellan at this point is dead, and the fleet is continuing under the leadership of uh, Elcano, Juan Sebastian Elcano, which is why it's considered what the Magellan Elcano expedition. Uh, and eventually, they return to Spain. The Victoria is the only ship that makes it back. The Trinidad was uh, broke down in the Moluccas, and the Concepcion was scuttled in the Philippines. So the Victoria with Elcano and the few survivors uh, made it back. So the uh, the Victoria made it to uh, made it around the Cape of Good Hope on May 6, fifteen twenty two, with only rice for rations. 
20 crewmen died of starvation by July 9th, 1522. And when they finally got into uh, Cape Verde, they gathered some precision, or provisions and learned that it was actually July 10th. They eventually made it back to the point of uh, departure, which means the expedition itself did circumnavigate the globe. And only 18 of the original 270 men who had gone on the expedition returned. Mm. So it was not a great experience. And afterward, pretty much no one spoke highly of Magellan. Like, obviously, he led in a pretty brutal way. But like Elcano, and remember the San Antonio had just turned around and went back to Spain. When they got back to Spain, they, you know, they talked about it as in a pretty negative light. So for a long time, Magellan's accomplishment was not really, like, recognized in a, in a huge, like, in a really positive way. And the expedition, you know, like, his reputation was pretty, pretty bad uh, for a long time because these, the, the survivors, those who returned, just were like, no, nah, he is... He was a bad dude. He made bad decisions. He, you know, went against the king's orders and, and like, all that stuff. Um, but over time, uh, he has com come to be seen in a more positive light, not necessarily because of, you know, the way he treated the, the natives in the Philippines, but because the expedition itself was the first circumnavigation and kind of paved the way for further exploration. And that was a, you know, a big inspiration and... A very important thing scientifically, they were able to cross the Pacific and, you know, get gain valuable information uh, to be able to do that in the future. And so that at least has risen in prominence over the years. The route of Magellan was submitted to UNESCO as a World Heritage Site, but um, it's not been identified as such. Yeah, so, so like Magellan himself circumnavigated the globe because... He had gone from Portugal to the Spice Islands at one point in his life. And then he went from there around the other way to the Philippines, which in terms of like, if you're talking about, you know, uh, longitude, they crossed each those those two paths crossed each other. So his routes in his lifetime, he did travel the entire like circumference of the earth, even though he himself never did one complete trip. Uh, however, I think that was uh, later done by Sir Francis Drake. So I'm going to leave it there. That's the expedition. All right. And that's Magellan. Well, that's not it. There's plenty more. But, like, that's basically it. That's the rundown, the timeline of the of the expedition, the ships that were involved, kind of how it fell out, and uh, how he died, right? Yeah. I have talked about two explorers who have both been <laughs> killed on the shore. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's my brand now. All right, are we ready for a quiz? We are ready for a quiz. All right. Uh, all of these questions are related to Magellan in some way. Question one. The Magellanic Premium, also known as the Magellanic Gold Medal and Magellanic Prize, is awarded for major contributions in the field of navigation, whether by sea, air, or in space, astronomy, or natural philosophy. In the 217 years since the Magellan Premium has been offered, it has only been awarded on 36 occasions. 12 for navigation, 12 for natural philosophy, and 11 for astronomy. The Premium was established in 1786 through a grant by Jean Hyacinth Magellan, and it was accepted by the then president of the American Philosophical Society, who established the terms of reference under which it would be given. 
Who was that society president? He was also notably not another type of president. The American Philosophic Society. I'm reading uh, Stamped from the Beginning right now, and the American Philosophic Society keeps coming up. And the name that I see most often with it is Benjamin Franklin, and he was not a president. So I'm going to go with him, but I'm not super confident. No, that's definitely it. It's Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, so he was the one who first established the Magellan Prize. All right. I learned it. Yay! I learned it. I learned a thing. Hooray! Perfect. Ten points. Uh, All right, question two. The Magellan spacecraft launched May 4th, 1989 on the space shuttle Atlantis. Its purpose was to map the surface of a planet by using synthetic aperture radar and to measure the planetary gravitational field. It was the fifth successful probe to this planet and came seven years after the initial plan to develop a spacecraft called Voyeur, V-O-I-R, was scrapped. Which planet did Magellan map? Hmm. Um... I'm going to guess Venus. And that's a good guess. It is, in fact, Venus. Well done. Uh, I was hoping that the voyeur would be kind of the the pointer there. I don't know if it Mm -hmm. was or not, but there you go. All right, nice. Yes, Venus. The Magellan spacecraft uh, mapped the surface of Venus. And we're done with Venus now. We're all on Mars. Question three. You're at 20 points. Mutiny played a major role in Magellan's expedition. Another notable mutiny in 1789 led to not only a 1935 classic starring Clark Gable, but also much of the current population of Pitcairn Island. For five points each, name the ship and the captain that was cast from it. Um, uh, I think this was the mutiny on the bounty, but I don't know the captain, so we're going to go with Smith. Okay, it is the bounty. That is correct, but it was Captain Bly. Bly, Captain Bly, and the leader of the mutineers was Fletcher Christian. Okay. Both of those are names that come up in trivia. Okay, I'm I'm making a note of that right now. Yes. There we go. All right, so you got five points from that one. That was good. Nice. Uh, You're at 25 points. Question four. This is a math question. Magellan's circumnavigation was actually longer than the circumference of the Earth because he had to sail around all that pesky land. If he had the ability to sail directly through land and sea, he could have traveled along what geometric term, which is defined as the intersection of a sphere and a plane that passes through the center point of that sphere? Oh, no. The intersection of a sphere and a plane that passes through the center point of that sphere. I think I mean, I feel like I must have heard this word at some point. I don't think that equator is correct, but I'm going to go with equator because I don't remember a math term for this. Okay. Uh, the equator is an example of this, but it is mm-hmm. a it is a great circle. Huh. So a, okay. a great circle is, like it said, the intersection of a sphere and a plane that passes through the center point of that sphere. So any circumference okay. of a sphere is technically, mm-hmm. like, along a great circle. Like, you mm-hmm. know, so there you go. Yeah. That's what that is. It's the great Got circle. It. All right. 
question five. Magellan found favor with King Charles I of Spain, and he was granted many rights, as I already mentioned, including the rank of commander of the Order of Santiago. If that were in English, what would that order be called? Oh, Santiago, uh, that is St. James, right? That is St. James, yes. Nice. Iago is Spanish for James, as we may have remembered from the... Uh, goat tournament, but also yes. um, the Way of St. James was a very important uh, pilgrimage path mm, yeah. in northern Spain. Uh, St. James is very important to like Spanish Catholic history. Mm-hmm. So that is, a, that is a good name to associate with like medieval and Renaissance Spain as St. James. All right, cool. So you're at 35 points? Is that 35? 35 points. Going into the final, and the final category is ad campaigns all right ad campaigns oh i'll bet it all okay a memorable ad campaign from the late 2000s and early 2010s asked a certain question magellan was mentioned in a rhyming response to that question however it's unlikely that ferdinand magellan actually experienced what the people in the commercial were experiencing since the company that was advertising did not come into being until 1904. Although, perhaps ill-fitting footwear contributed to discontent among the crews and possibly caused the mutinies. So my question is for you is, what was that question, which is also the name of the ad campaign? Oof. I should not have wagered everything. That might be more obscure. Maybe I should just ask you for what the name of the company is. Um... All right. So... 2000s, 2010s, it rhymes with, the the ad campaign rhymes with Magellan, or like the slogan, ill-fitting footwear. Uh, I'm going to guess Dr. Scholl's. Dr. Scholl's is in fact the company that was being advertised. <laughs> and the ad campaign was the Are You Gellin? campaign that was like that's what i was going to guess if i like i, I was like you gel in like, like, like i was going to guess that yes uh, if i had to guess uh oh my gosh let me just just know you're you're um you're a little younger than me so so it's understandable that this would not come directly to you as a quiz question but you missed a golden opportunity to ask about eureka's castle i have the- no idea what that is Oh no! The uh, uh, the children's television which aired on Nick Jr. from 1989 to 1991. Oh yeah! No no no! <laughs> yeah, I was. You were like I was zero to two years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay, I, I was I was four to six. Sure. So, um, all right. Anyway, there there was a there was a character called Magellan oh. who was a large green baby dragon, and the whole show, at least in my recollection of it, was delightful. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. No, this was a this was a fun quiz, though. Thank you. Yeah, and, and nice job. You pulled it out. You got seventy points. That's good. Yeah, seventy points. I did it. Thanks, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potent potables. And let your friends know about our podcast, especially if they watch Jeopardy. 
Yeah, you can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. And I guess we haven't really talked about what we're going to do next week, huh? Yeah, we we have not. Jeopardy comes back in, let's see, one, two, three, four. So we'll be back. We'll be back sh- for sure once Jeopardy's back on. But I don't know. We should probably drop a, an episode or, or two over the break. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll do something. Yeah. TBD. But, TBD. you know, we'll, we'll, fi- we'll find something to do in the hiatus so that you don't go a whole month without hearing from us. Yeah, because we know um, how terrible that would be for you. Yeah, really break their hearts. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back soon during the hiatus, and uh, and we'll be, uh, be back with Jeopardy in like a month or so when we come back for season 38. Mm-hmm. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.